on the planet like Black History Boot Camp, y'all. Welcome, welcome, welcome. That was actually Solange, and it was a song of hers called Dreams. And we're going to talk today actually about a badass guy named Mary Bowser. This might seem like a weird song to start this conversation, but actually, Morgan, half of the information about Mary Bowser online is about disproving or proving who she was. Was that really her in a picture? And keep in mind, she's a spy. So there was not a lot of information about her. So when I was doing the playlist last night, I was like, this is actually one of the things I love about Black 3C Camp. I got to sit down and imagine who would Mary Bowser be? What would she dream if she didn't have to be an enslaved woman fighting against the damn Confederacy? What would make her feel loved? What would make her dance? And so I put together a playlist of like, I just feel like I'm channeling the Mary Bowser energy. And I was like, we're going to start with Solange and end with Tina Marie. Because I was like, I was a damn spy. This is what I might want to be listening to. And because I was like, little black boys and little black girls never even got a chance to dream about being a spy because we don't tell those type of stories. So I just chose that song for a lot of different reasons to honor the life of Mary Bowser, who we're going to talk about. No, I was already feeling it. It felt like a whisper network because if you aspire, this is how you got to talk. Like Solange, you got to be whispering. <laughs> I'm into it. It reminds me of the first postal worker. Her name was Mary. Oh, um, yes. Mary. With the gun. Stage coach yeah, Mary. Yeah, stage coach Mary. It's when I did her playlist, I was like, because you know she would have some dating. You know she would like the dog pound. Yes. I was like, come on. I want to give a shout out to our listeners and specifically, y'all, you have so many great recommendations for Black History Bootcamp. And today we're doing Mary Bowser because of Shakira, who is a listener in D.C. She's part of our community. She recommended her. We're learning together and Morgan and I love your recommendations. Please use hashtag Black History Bootcamp on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Even if we don't get to respond to it right away, we're keeping an archive of all of the suggestions and figuring out how do we tell these stories even beyond this podcast because Morgan, when you talk about a movie that needs to be told, I'm talking somebody, meaning Morgan Dixon Spielberg, Spike Lee, needs to <laughs> tell the story of Mary Bowser. When I was reading about her, I don't remember what the name of that movie is where that guy, God, what, it don't matter. You know all the movies with Pierce Brosnan. I just need a hint. <laughs> <laughs> I need a hint. So, 
Somebody out there know what I'm talking about, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, I kept picturing because they always played a Nina Simone song at the chase scene of whatever this movie I'm talking about is. It's funny you said that because I chose <laughs> Tina Marie at the end because I could kind of see this, this song being in the credits. So yes. I, I even chose a song because of that. So it's funny you said that. That's so great. It's starting to rain. Oh, nice. This rain is reminding me. I'm in Savannah, Georgia, and really bad storms have rolled through. They rolled through like Mississippi, Alabama, and there were several tornadoes that touched down last night. If anyone was in harm's way, just praying for you and your families. Just want to uplift anyone who might have been impacted by the storm. Because as this rain is coming in, it reminds me that it's part of a system that really has been impacting the South. And the South has just been going through it. I just want to send them some love and say we see you. We were on a call last week with our Houston organizers and. They've just experienced a lot, and they hold so much space for us as Black people. Listen, I'm glad you pumped the brakes even before we started the story, because we were on a call earlier with one of our coworkers, and she was just explaining how it's even hard to respond to the white supremacy that we've all been watching with our Asian sisters and brothers and the women who were killed. It's hard to even respond sometimes or to have the bandwidth for rage because we're always just trying to get to the next position, trying to get to the next safe spot, trying to get to some air, trying to get our work done, trying to get our report submitted, trying to get all this stuff. And we're so used to that level of trauma that sometimes we just got to keep it moving. And I'm glad you stopped. I'm glad you're saying, you know what? It's hard in our country right now. We keep getting shook by violence and hate. The storms have been unrelenting. COVID won't go away. So let's go for a walk, y'all. Slow it all down a little bit. Get some respite and inspiration from the story of a Black woman who has been there before, who has been in the midst of a war for her identity, for her worth in the middle of the Civil War. And it's a woman whose name we don't even know. Her name is... I know. I actually put that as the first talking point to jump into her story. I want to give a little background even so that people could be in the story with us because the first thing I put is that real G's move in silence. And I'm going to need everybody on the internet who keeps spending all of these journalists and all of these articles that I was reading about Mary Bowser, who I felt there was so much time and energy spent, I feel like kind of disprove the stories that are legend on the floor about her. That I was like, But no, she actually probably did way more than anybody could have documented because, in fact, the entire point of espionage is to do it under the radar and to do it in ways that people don't know about it. And so if we understand that she was such an effective spy, that Ulysses S. Grant, the intel that she provided was some of the most pivotal intel that they got. And that, in fact, the Confederate president, quote unquote, who was at the Capitol was in Richmond, Virginia. And he actually thought he was losing his mind. And I was like, that's a black woman for you because we know how to keep the secrets. We know how to make you think you're going crazy. You're going to be looking around like, what? And it's just going to be us all along. That was Jefferson Jefferson Davis. Davis. And that's, he was the president of the Confederacy in Richmond, Virginia. And that was the biggest lore about her that she was working in his house as an enslaved woman. She was free. She had been freed. But that she was working on a spy mission, playing the role of an enslaved woman in the house of Jefferson Davis, the White House of the Confederacy, the seat of power of the treasonous people who were trying to steal our ancestors for free labor. She went into the belly of the beast and had a photographic memory like Vanessa, took pictures of all the plans and gave it back to Ulysses S. Grant, who became the next president of the United States. 
Yeah, but Meanwhile, uh, Morgan, half the articles are like, I don't think she really had a photographic memory. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> the levels and the ways in which we be showing up with receipts and then people be like, I think that's a fraudulent receipt. I don't. I'm just like, and in fact, how we pass down stories is verbal folklore. So I believe you have a photographic memory because I have a photographic memory. Y'all can put me in a White House. I'm going to read some documents. And I'm going to call Morgan and she's going to transcribe them into something good. And then we're going to free ourselves. And that would be my role in the movement. But not oh, jokingly. I was up. Not, uh, they was like, did she burn down the house or did she not burn the house? I was like, she definitely burned down the house. <laughs> like, right. definitely burned down the house after she looked at the documents and gave them to Ulysses S. Grant. Stop fronting on us, y'all. Somebody make a movie. Uh, Morgan, let's get into her. Uh, there's actually some juicy tidbits that I did pull from her life and story that I want to tease out so that we can, by the end of this, make the movie. And then I want to shout out our allies. Ally, this is a story for you. Because we are going to not just tell the story of Mary Bowser, but her story is intrinsically connected to a woman named Elizabeth Van Lu. And she was an ally who played a pivotal role in this spy network. So I want to start at the beginning. For those who have never heard of her, most people refer to her, and in documents, she was referred to as Mary Bowser. She at times went by the name Mary Jane Richardson. She went by Mary Jane Richards Denman. And at one point, and we'll get into that later, after she was retired as a spy, she actually traveled the country. And depending on what audience that she was talking in front of, she would alter some of the details and alter her name. But that was part of the lore of it. And she literally went by Richmonia because, well, she's from Richmond, duh, St. Pierre. And I was, I was like, that's a perfect so spy hard. name. That's a perfect spy name. It is. Richmonia St. Pierre is like in Harlem, giving speeches at the churches <laughs> under the name Richmonia. And I love that. So first of all, if you have a spy name, that would be your spy name. Hashtag just like it's your boot camp so we know what your spy name would be. I was like, I need to come up with a really good spy name because we might all need to be spies. We don't know. She was born, Morgan. Well, in you're in place. Savannah. So your spy name is Savannah Garrison. It's whatever city you're born in. And then it has to oh! have some kind of something else. That's what I'm saying. I'm in Osu, so that don't really work. <laughs> I think it has to be like a French last name to throw them off. Garrison sounds a little Frenchy, so it needs to be kind of something French. So this is the story of Richmonia St. Pierre. Her parents were enslaved on a plantation in Richmond, and she was born enslaved in Richmond. She was born to the Van Lu family, and there was some family drama on this white side of this family that we need to understand about this story that I found interesting. Elizabeth Van Lu Morgan was a Quaker. They were a heavy part of the abolitionist movement in this country. And she was also a philanthropist. She spent her entire life savings, which at the time she had $500,000. She was a very wealthy woman at the time. She spent her last penny building up housing and doing all sorts of stuff for the enslaved people and trying to get them to freedom. So she put her money where her mouth is as well. The important part about her story, though, is that she came from this Quaker family, Morgan, from Philadelphia, who was peaceful. She married a man named John Van Lu. And the man that she actually married was not a Quaker. And they ended up owning slaves as a family. And so they were the slave-owning family, Elizabeth Van Lu and her husband of Mary Baker and her parents. But then he died. And Elizabeth Van Lu and her daughter decided that they were going to free the slaves that they owned because she was a Quaker and she wanted to fight against slavery. 
they weren't able to legally free them, but she did give them their kind of freedom within not working for her or not being on her plantation. And she was even able to get some of them forged documents and all sorts of stuff so that they can move around as free people. But how did her husband die? In the movie, that was a stratagem. It was. (laughs) And here's why it could be a strategy, because Elizabeth Van Loo's Quaker grandfather was the mayor of Philadelphia from 1796 to 1798. So her whole family from her side of the family really was entrenched in American politics and American abolitionists work. So it might have been a strategy that she even married him in the first place. But yes, that's That's going to be a good movie. Listen, allies, it'd be like, who got the most slaves? <laughs> like, go bat your eyes at him and then just be like, he died. That ain't funny. That, that's yes. not funny. But freedom sometimes requires us to make hard choices. I'm going to keep moving. So <laughs> the one thing to know, Morgan, about Elizabeth Van Lue, though, that I did find interesting about her as an abolitionist and her work. First of all, Richmond, Virginia, and the white people of Richmond ostracized her, right? She was a very wealthy woman, so she was able to hold court and respect still because she had money. But because of her radical views around slaves needing to be freed, she was ostracized. She used that to her benefit and actually started performing in public as if she was crazy and kind of like a very eccentric woman. And they started calling her Crazy Bet. But that was all part of her act so that people actually weren't paying attention to the strategy that she had going on. So she Mm. started small. First, she started volunteering at a nurse at prison camps for Union soldiers. And she was smuggling in food, books, medicine, et cetera. And then after that, she started then funding like the network of slaves who were being freed. And then that's where she was then connected with a spy network that she herself built up. So it was Elizabeth Van Lu who was like, I'm actually going to start helping the Union Army by helping spies be planted in strategic places where they could get information. Well, Mary Bowser, who had grown up in her home, had demonstrated excellence from such an early age that the Van Loo family had actually sent her to Philadelphia, Morgan, to become educated. And so she was educated at a Quaker school in Philadelphia. That's important to know because it was illegal for slaves to read. And yet Mary Bowser could read because she had went to this Quaker school in Philadelphia. When she returned from the Quaker school, this is the part of the story that I'm like, man, I would really have to sit down and talk to her to understand. No, this is why I know she had a photographic memory. I think a photographic memory comes from trauma. For you being the only person yeah. who can have access to stuff, and you'd be like, let me just remember this. So when things get hard, no, I'm saying I understand yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Well, what I don't understand, and there's no information to understand why she came back, once she was freed by the Van Lewis, once she was educated in Philadelphia, she went to Liberia as part of that movement of people from the time yeah. in Virginia who were saying that we need to repatriate Africans or enslaved people and take them back to Africa for lots of different reasons, not just humanitarian sake, by the way, financial reasons, et cetera. And she went and lived in Liberia for five years, but she came yep. back. And I was like, why did she come back? But this is sometimes where I'm just going to say she had a calling or understood or knew that she had some role to play. When she first came back, she was arrested twice because they were like, are you really a free person? Let's see your papers. And this is where some of the lore of who she is comes in because the description of who she was or how she looked when she was arrested very differently. And there are some people who think that she was a very light-skinned, could pass for a white woman. And then there are some people who think she was clearly Black enough that people stopped her on the street and arrested her two times. 
One of the people who actually gave an account of how she looked was Harriet Beakerstow, who was the author of Uncle Tom, Tom's Cabin. Her and her husband actually did have a meeting with Mary Bowser, and they were one of the people who gave one of the accounts of how she actually looked. Either way, she came back from Liberia after five years came back to Richmond, was arrested twice on the street, but then started working back in the home of Elizabeth Van Lu under the cover of she is still a slave woman or a servant. And then Elizabeth Van Lu had her place through her connections working in the Confederate White House in Richmond, Virginia, where she then started passing the secrets that Ulysses S. Grant said were pivotal to the Union being able to defeat the, the Confederates. Yeah, it's crazy. But Liberia wasn't even a country then. It was war-torn. It was a whole bunch of people who were living there who had been ravaged by slavery. And then American colonizers under James Monroe came back and started Monrovia, which is still the capital of Liberia. And then they brought Black people over there as missionaries to civilize the savages. They're like, them is our people. What's he talking about? But it was rough in Liberia at that time. So I understand why she came back. She also had a family here and she, all, all her people were here. So there's also just, I think, that connection. And actually, I was getting ready to say that there's a record of her, which was surprising to most historians. She was baptized in a white church in Richmond, Virginia, that most Black people were not allowed to attend. And people credit that to the Van Lu's influence. But then even bigger than that, she married a white man on record in that church. John T. Denman. And it's unheard of at that time for interracial marriage to happen. And there are a lot of people who don't even understand what that circumstance was about, or was it of her free will, not of her free will, but at or was she passing? Or was she passing? Exactly. That just leads to the mystery. But she was married for a short time to this man, Denman, and actually took his name as part of one of her aliases. Didn't she marry somebody named Bowser? I read that she married somebody named Bowser like four days into the Civil War. Like they had just bombed the first site. The Confederates had just bombed the first Union like camp or something. And four days later, she got married. But was he black? Yeah, there's a record of her marrying three different men, including one man who she said out to the West Indies and we ain't never heard from her. I I love that kind of spot. I love that kind of spot too. Eventually she married her man and was like, I've done America. And we, she went off into the sunset. I hope she was eating mango somewhere and living a better life than what she was living here. That's for sure. But what she did do, Morgan, is after the Confederacy fell, this was actually one of the most powerful parts of her story that I was like, wow, Black women are in service. So keep in mind, she was born enslaved. Her parents were enslaved. She went and got educated, traveled to Africa, came back, became a union spy. Then the Confederacy falls and we're left with reconstruction. We're left with no access to rights, no access to education. And we're left trying to rebuild from the ashes and the rubble. For those who don't know, and I know you do know a lot about this, Morgan, after the war, there was something called the Freedmen Bureau, which was formed. And Freedmen legislation was passed in 1829, first of all, that made it a crime to teach enslaved laborers to read and discourage literacy in general amongst Georgia's even small free Black community. But as part, as part of the Freedmen's Bureau, there were 
schools that were formed with educators, by the way, who were Black, who were like, we are going to be educating our people. And within a year of the Confederacy falling, there were over 8,000 formerly enslaved Black people who were attending a freedman school in Georgia. And one of those places is literally only about an hour from where I am at in St. Mary's, Georgia. And Mary Bowser went to St. Mary's, Georgia. And some people say she found it. Some people say she taught, but at a freedman school. So she left from becoming a spy, went to St. Mary's, Georgia, and started educating formerly enslaved Black children as part of this freedmen's education movement. Well, Vanessa, that whole region where you are now, so folks who are joining us for the first time, I'm in Accra, West Africa, and Vanessa's traveling the southern United States right now, and she's now in Savannah, Georgia. And where you are is such a hotbed for freedmen activity in general. And yeah. You know, remember we went to the Penn School on St. Helena Island? Yes. So the Penn School was the first school for formerly enslaved African children. People should go there if they've never been there. St. Helena Island, right outside of Buford, South Carolina, the Sea Islands. And shout out to all of our Gullah truckers out there holding it down, that yeah. ancient, ancient, beautiful culture down in the Sea Islands. People should visit there if you haven't been there. It's such an important and powerful historic place. And then St. Mary's and St. John's, all of those places became eventually the birthplace of the civil rights movement. And in fact, Mm -hmm. Dr. King went to the Penn Center to hold his first convening of all the ministers. And we know Septima Clark came from that region as a school teacher and then went on to teach the citizenship schools, which taught Rosa Parks, Fannie Lou Hamer, all those sorts of people. So this was an important time. And Mary Bowser's life was important and that she was the beginning of these radical Black people who started to build institutions for our people and our freedom and our liberation. So it's exciting to think about that she was in that region. Yeah. It is. And as a part of that movement, Congress created something called the Bureau of Refugees. And I was like, this is so powerful because there's a new movement now that's kind of acknowledging that Black people fleeing the American South really were refugees when they were coming to cities like Detroit and Chicago. And I was like, but I didn't know that Congress had created a bureau of refugees. And that bureau, they aided in creating funding so that people could rent buildings, so that they could provide books. They provided transportation for teachers. They provided superintendents. and they offered military protection for students and teachers against the opponents of Black literacy. And here's why that's important. One of the few actual validated documents on record from Mary Bowser is a series of letters that she wrote while she was a teacher. And she wrote the letters to the superintendent of education for Georgia. And she wrote the letters begging for help. Because she said that she knows that there are Southerners. She said, I know Southerners pretty well and that their present appearance is not at all favorable. And she said, having been in service so long as a detective, I still find my scrutinizing ways to work. She said, and I see all around me is powerful. She said, I see all around me secret societies forming and you need to come here and investigate. They didn't come and investigate. And those secret societies that were forming became the Ku Klux Klan. And she had notified the Department of Education in Georgia years before anybody could even pinpoint what the Ku Klux Klan was that as a post-outcome of the Confederacy falling, there were secret societies that were forming to start to terrorize. And she asked them to come down and investigate, and they didn't. And she said, I fear there is more room for watchfulness than the authorities believe I am imploring you to come and investigate this. 
And of course, we know now what the legacy of the Ku Klux Klan was. For all we know, the Ku Klux Klan was leading the Department of Education and was receiving the letters, quite frankly, because the Ku Klux Klan and that level of white supremacy is embedded, as we just saw what happened in the Capitol and the insurrectionists. It's embedded throughout law enforcement, throughout military. It is still alive today in ever-present ways in which Black people are physically at harm. And we see the legacy of that in real time right now. Yeah, with what happened at the spas with those people who lost their lives. Vanessa, the Bureau of, what is it called? Refugees. Is it still on the book? Because can we use that and leverage that for resources? You know how like misogyny still It was It was fully (laughs) called the Bureau of Refugees, Freedmen, and Abandoned Land. Ooh. And then the the shorthand for it was the Freedmen's Bureau. That's the full name of the Freedmen's Bureau. Is the Freedmen's Bureau still legally on the federal books? Could we use that for reparational funding through federal dollars and procurement? <laughs> Sorry, this is real life strategizing, y'all. That's all I'm saying. Somebody look that up. Who's a policy expert? Some spy up in the what office, read all the paperwork and fill it out. <laughs> and then send it to Morgan and I so we can figure out how we can revive and get that funding. Morgan, after she left teaching, she eventually closed down the school. That's when she married a man and said she was moving to the West Indies. But she actually did tour the country. And people said her speeches were sarcastic, they were humorous, and they were filled with eloquence about what she felt was the equal treatment that Black people were finally due after their long years of enslavement. So she did all of this and came out on the other side of it with a sarcastic sense of humor and a confidence that we were due all of our full rights, which I absolutely loved. And then after she did those circuit of speeches, two of them she did at well-known Harlem churches, which I now cannot think of the names of, but like just to imagine- Abyssinian was one of them. Yeah. So just imagine you can walk right now into Abyssinian church. And that was the exact church where Mary Bowser was standing and talking. No, 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 no. That was the church where Richmonia St. Pierre was speaking. Richmonia St. Pierre. Yes. Richmonia St. Pierre. It's not going to get me. The clan is not coming for me. My name is Richmonia St. Pierre at Abyssinian church. Come on now. I love this woman. I love this woman. I love this woman. Thank you, Shakira. Thank you for recommending. Yes, thank, yes. thank you, Shakira. So we don't know what happened to Mary Bowser officially. I like to think of her as the Carrie Mathis of Black folks. You know, she's just disappeared into some sort of beautiful life that yes. I think that maybe she had already stashed away money from. She had probably already had her little space set up. It was already waiting for her. She already had a vision. No, in the I'm movie, Vanessa, I got a vision. I got yes. a vision. In the movie, she's going to move to the West Indies and her granddaughter going to be yes. Sade. And then that way it's going to end on the credits with Sade singing. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Because I imagine her with like a little rap, you know, out there, you know, just walking around, got all these beautiful grandchildren, and then Sade's one of them. That's all I'm saying. It's ignorant. Keep going. <laughs> well, no, we're going to wrap on Tina Marie. And when I was listening to Tina Marie, I actually was imagining her like looking out at the water, sipping a drink, and just yes, like doing yes. some slow melody. But before we get to the rap song, I have a question for you, Morgan. And When we were on the call earlier today, we were talking to Shakira, who recommended Mary Bowser, and she said something that struck me. First of all, she said, no compliment hits like a compliment from a Black woman, and I totally 
believe that. And then she was talking about being inspired and the Black women who really inspire her to dream. And then I was like, oh, wow, we're starting the call today with Solange's dream because I was dreaming about Mary Bowser's life. And I just was like, we can bring right now into this space the name of a woman or two who has inspired you to dream. And for all of us to think about who is a woman in our life who has inspired us to dream in this way that Mary Bowser has inspired us to dream, I feel like we should reach out to them today, thank them, say it to their face, share the story with someone if they're not here, because that's how their legacy lives on. So I was just wondering what woman has really inspired you to dream? I love this story. And I actually love the fact that Mary Bowser is not a household name. And the fact that her story inspired Shakira reminds me that it's often people who are not well-known who are the ones who are the impetus for our big dreams. And so I'm thinking about like my Aunt Verlene. When I was in Wichita, Kansas, Mm -hmm. which is landlocked and largely impoverished, and a lot of people who were refugees coming out of the South went to Wichita, Kansas. So I grew up there and my Aunt Verlene, I remember one time she went to Los Angeles. She went to Catalina Island, Vanessa. And she rode a glass bottom boat and she brought back pictures. You couldn't tell me that that was not (laughs) Zanzibar. Okay. You could not tell me that Catalina was not the most exotic place. I was like, wow. Well, I grow up, I want to go to Catalina Island and I want to ride a glass bottom boat. I'm like nine year old Wichita, Kansas, little baby. And it's stuff like that, which was a bold move for her, by the way, to even get on a plane and go to California. And then to come back and tell her stories to us. And she's such a worldly, beautiful woman that I think she's actually also from the future. But she's one woman who taught me how to dream. She really did. What about you? Oh, I love that. Well, first of all, this is kind of a side, but not of a side. It's definitely not at the level of respect of your story. But I was just telling Lori, who some of you guys know I work with as like a life coach. I was just telling her, Morgan, I was like, I can literally call for a large section of my life. This won't surprise you. You know, Juice the movie. And you know how Cindy from En Vogue was in Juice the movie as the girlfriend. And she had like a little apartment and she was like, had some candles, and little black art. <laughs> Versus this is an aside, but I was telling Lori, I was like, there was a time in my life where all I could aspire to was like <laughs> an apartment that had candles and R&B playing, some Moscato wine and a man coming over. Like I would just be like, this is the dream. And I was like, that's troubling. No, it's not. And Juice. But that was it's not idea. troubling, though. Like, no, she was independent and she was happy. No, it's yeah. not troubling. And, you know, you have to stretch yourself to the edges of your own imagination. And when you get there, there's another horizon. Yeah, that's so true. And that really was at one point when I turned on my TV or went to the movies and I saw that truly. And I grew up in a house where there was a lot of us living in the house and sleeping on the couch and doing this stuff. So the idea of having my own space physical space was Mm -hmm. always a dream that I genuinely had when I was growing up. And then the idea that I was just going to be like, have some food cooking, I'm going to have on my little silk robe and I was just going to be grown. And then actually it even evolved to where I was like in vogue in general, for me as a young black girl, like who grew up in that era, like I was in high school, like when they given them something feel could come out, but they were one of my first examples of like, where I was like, Ooh, I could be a classy like lady, (laughs) you know, like in this way that I couldn't imagine. So it's a kind of non-serious thing, but they did help me to like dream of like a more, I just thought, ooh, I could be sophisticated. I could travel to Paris. I could wear a red dress. I could do things. I didn't have examples like that. I could be sophisticated. It's hilarious. I have to say something. Can I tell you how embarrassed I am? 
We recently did an interview with Madame Noir. Shout out to the Black woman who wrote us up for that interview. And I think it's on their Instagram right now. It's a great interview. But I don't know what was going on on that particular morning when we were doing the interview. And she asked us for three words to describe ourselves. I couldn't answer for like five minutes. And now printed in that article, it says that I'm sophisticated, elegant, and creative. It's just some words that are just like so random that when I read them in the article, I was like, what? You're sophisticated? That's the actual word that you put? And then yours say you're hardworking, impactful, or like some stuff. It is just a bizarre. So sophisticated must have been in my mind. I don't know why, but I did say No, it's that. your childhood dream. Stop trying to hate on your childhood dream. You're not going to be sophisticated. You got it. You are officially branded sophisticated, but I know we're running out of time, but when we were talking to Shakira, one of the things that struck me is that she was saying that she wants her legacy to be the legacy that her grandchildren, how they look at her and how proud they are of her. And I was like, that's a different definition of legacy than so many of us are going for. And it reminded me actually of Mary Bowser's story because I was like, what would we do or not do if we knew nobody would know? You understand what I mean? And she knew she would go down in the annals of history without even a real name on the record. She knew that she was taking these great risks and nobody would ever give her credit for. And it really is a call to all of us to assess what we're doing and why we're doing it. If nobody ever called your name or knew what you were doing on your nine to five, if nobody ever gave you credit, for the work you're doing, would you still do it? For me, that's really important because even in Girl Trek, the answer is, of course, yes, I would do it. But I think there are some things we do that are more about like our brand and like getting credit and like being whatever called mm-hmm. this or called that. And I want to hold myself to what is the impact I want to have on black liberation? What is the impact I want to have on my personal life and my family? How do I want my children, my nieces, my nephews to look at me and say, that was my auntie and she did this. You understand what I mean? And that is meaningful versus all the other stuff, all the other accolades. I understand exactly what you're saying, Morgan, because first of all, the historians are unclear around what Mary Bowser really ultimately felt about the Van Loo family and what their, her relationship to them was because She worked closely, obviously, was a spy. They freed her. They were abolitionists. And yet there are some correspondence, they say, where she was just like, and also this is the family that owned me, right? So like, what was really her relationship? We don't know. But in one of the actual letters, she wrote, I hope you will not lose sight of me as I cannot bear the thought that no one is interested in my will or my woe. And so she was thinking about that. But if nobody knows your legacy, would you still put yourself in harm's way? Because she had to imagine that she's using different pseudonyms. She's an enslaved Mm -hmm. woman. She's going in and out of the country. She's being arrested. She has to be underground. She has to realize her legacy is precarious, right? And still she goes into Jefferson Davis's house and still she spies and still she helps to bring down the Confederacy and unify what we know as the United States of America. And so I'm saying, would you still do it if you knew nobody would know? Yeah. Yeah. Not only would I do it, but I actually recognize in today's world that in some regards, you're more effectively able to do it under the cloak of anonymity Mm -hmm. versus under the glare of, say, social media. And Mm -hmm. I actually can understand how some people might decide to move in silence in ways that 
there are people making moves, funding movements, doing all sorts of stuff that we don't know about. And they could be on the front page of all sorts of things, but I can see how actually it makes their work better and easier. And I don't know if the notoriety part of it is something that I would necessarily want to hold on to. Truthfully, because I'm realizing that I want to sit on the porch with my silk robe and drink my Moscato, and it's like, like, (laughs) be sophisticated, and be sophisticated, and that don't necessarily mean nobody but me needs to know who I am. So I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question though around our even our dreams and asking ourselves like, does your dream require you to go down in history? Yeah, like you need to be known. You do not need outside validation for your dreams. You do not need somebody else to co-sign. Sometimes you might be the only lone Harriet out there believing and standing and walking towards a star that you don't understand. And if you are in that space, just keep going. Just keep going. But is your dream big enough if nobody sees your impact or knows your impact? Like that's the tricky part that I feel like particularly Black women are in that position where it's hard to like be a painter. You know what I mean? And like not think that you're making some kind of impact on the solution to free Black people as a whole. Do you understand what I mean? Like, But you know what? I do. I do. But I wanted to say, I actually was just on a family Zoom call with a bunch of my cousins and my cousin, Angel, she has literally the three most adorable daughters you've ever seen. And my one other cousin, we were talking exactly about this and we were all sharing what our life hopes and dreams were. And Angel was just like, I'm kind of living my dream. She was like, I just dreamed of being a mom. And then my other cousin was like, we were just trying to push, but if you could do anything, and she's like, no, I really dreamed of this. So I do think there are some dreams that people have for how they have impact. And I think like being a mom, for example, might be one of those dreams that people have that other people don't ever really even understand or see their imprint on the world, but it is big. It's exactly what I was trying to get at. I'm so glad you gave that story. When Angel was saying, I just want to be a mom, I think we even undercount ourselves sometimes. There's a lot of pressure to get in the game, to get off the sidelines, to get in the movement, to make an impact, to free Black people and free yourself and then be a cosmonaut. (laughs) And bake bread. And bake bread at the same time. It's too much. It's too much. It's too much. So shout out to everyone who's doing keep your the hard together. work. Keep it look. It's a lot. It's yes. a lot. It's a the lot real work. work. All the Mary yeah. Bowsers out there who are doing the real work, who people might think you are an enslaved woman. People might think you are a maid. People might think you're illiterate, but they don't actually know your purpose in life and they don't know your calling in life and it doesn't matter. And that your real legacy is going to be how you helped people even in the quiet moment. So shout out to her. We might not ever know her real story, but let's try to write a screenplay. All right. That was yeah. good, Vanessa. Good job. All right, Richmonia St. Pierre, we're imagining you somewhere in the West Indies. We're going to turn on this Tina Marie deja vu and just get into the vibe and ride out. And we will see you back here live tomorrow, Friday, for the end of week three. Many times before Once I was a white gazelle On horseback riding free Searching in the darkness For a piece of me I can feel this for sure 